Today, we take a look at two terrifying households. First off, we travel to France to meet a woman who swears that the only way to enter her house is to walk on your hands. And then we travel to South Dakota to meet a young man who's moving into his new apartment. He quickly realizes that not only is he not alone in his new abode, this creature may have sinister implications for us all. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you have some cool plans for this weekend coming up. First off, let's give a shout out to one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now is Devin. Woohoo! Come on in, buddy. Come on in. Devin, you're going to be our captain or pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally get it. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. I say it every episode because it's true. You can really help the show grow. Devin, a.k.a. fellow content creator, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed all the way out to old-timey France. As Devin is driving us out to old-timey France, we're headed back to the early 1900s. I do want to say... Next week is the last week of season 17. So next week, we're going to have five episodes, and then I'm taking a two-week break. I'm not going to do the bonus episodes this week. i got to start those up again. <laughs> I always talk about them. But that's just ten more episodes of work, and it's really hard to do the show. It is a solo podcast. I don't have anyone else helping me, except when you guys help me financially support the show and get the word out. I, I don't, don't want to minimize that, but the production of the show is just me, and I get burned out and everything like that, and I feel bad I even take two weeks off. But... I got I got to take two weeks off every 50 episodes. That seems fair. So there will be no bonus episodes. It'll be two weeks of just uh, dead silence on the Dead Rabbit Radio channel. But we will be back for season 18 and another 50 episodes of crazy, bizarre, macabre stories. Like these ones. These ones are really cool. And I'm glad I was able to present these two as a pair. Because I got an interesting hypothesis with this one. So Devin's driving the old-timey Jason Jalopy. We're wearing old-timey clothes. We got on, like, the girdles and the big old petticoats and tiny little umbrellas. We are walking around Rue de Montreal. That's in the St. Margarita district in Paris, France. So we're walking around. We look dapper. And we're going to court. We're going to court. We stole, we stole all these clothes from some old lady. We're running down the street, and we end up in court. And as we're handcuffed sitting in the back of the courtroom, in walks Madame Berlotti. <laughs> I'm almost for sure that's not how you pronounce her name. If my last name was Bloaty, I would definitely change it. I don't care if my dad was very proud. The Bloaties helped build this country. Madame Bloaty. She's an elderly woman. She walks into the local magistrate's office. I don't know if that's the same thing as a court. But anyways, just roll with it. <laughs> just roll, roll with it like you're a big, bloaty old lady. She walks into the local magistrate's office and she says, Listen, you need to help me, sir. I am just a simple old woman living at home with my son and my brother. And it's fine. Like, everything's going good there, right? But one thing that's super weird. Every time I walk to my house... Put the key in the door, click, click, boop, boop, and they open the door. 
<laughs> She's making the sound effects too. The magistrate's like, I know what a door. I know what you're doing. You know, this you're not doing some sort of audio podcast. She opens the door. And then me, this old lady, I have to get down on my hands and knees, do a handstand, and hand walk into my house. And then I get back on my feet and I go about my business. And the magistrate is looking at this lady and thinking, dude, she must be senile. Like, and she must be super limber if she can walk on her hands. And he goes, wait, wait, wait. So you're saying that, like, they make you do that? Your son and your brothers? No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not accusing them of, like, making me do that. When I come to my door frame, I am overcome. It's not even overcome. I have to walk on my hands. I can't enter in my house any other way. The magistrate has the woman detained because he goes, she must be nuts. That's impossible. There's not any sort of magical force that will make you walk on your hands. Maybe a gun, maybe a guy with a truncheon, right, would force an old lady to do this, but there's not. Uh. So he actually sends an officer out to her house and he's like, listen, go talk to the son or the brother, figure out what's going on. Because I'm assuming this woman's either insane or she's being abused. So he sends out this dude, a Sergeant DeVille, to go out there. And he's greeted there by her son. And he's a 27-year-old man. He's a bank clerk. We don't have his name. <laughs> we just assume it's Bobby Bloaty. And Bobby goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I know why you're probably here, right? My mom went to go talk to you about fixing the whole door thing. Are you here to, like, take care of that? And the, and the officer's like, yeah, yeah, what's going on with that? And the son's like, dude, this is so weird. Every time I try to go into the house, I can't. I stop. I physically stop at the door frame. And then I get down on my hands and knees. And I walk on my hands into the house. And the, the officer's like, what in the world is going on here? That's impo That's impossible. So they go and they get his uncle, who we have his name, Paul Rice. Uh, this was the brother. Paul Rice shows up. He's 50 years old. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for calling me down, officer. Um, you're here about the whole walking hands thing. And the officer's like, yeah. And, and the brother, Paul, goes, listen, I don't know what this old lady's been telling you or what the son's been telling you. But I'm going to tell you the truth right now. Every time I come to the door frame, if I come, every time I come to the door... I can't enter the house. And the son's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying, too. He's like, oh, you're telling him about the whole walking in the hand? Yeah, yeah, that's, what, that's why we're here. The uncle goes, yeah. So the officer, the Sergeant DeVille, takes these two dudes back to the magistrate, where the mom is currently in detention. She has, like, on a little prison jumpsuit. And they're all standing there, and they're like, yeah, no, this is 100% true. We cannot walk into this house without walking on our hands. And Paul Rice goes, here, let me show you. And he gets on all fours in the magistrate's office. The uncle starts walking around on his hands in the magistrate's office. And then the son joins in. He's doing it too. And then Madame Bloaty, elderly woman, she's walking around on her hands as well. And the magistrate goes, okay, stop, stop, stop. I know what walking on your hands look like, but this can't be true. And they actually summon the concierge for the building. So the officer brings him before the magistrate. And the concierge goes, listen, dude. He sees those three. He sees those three standing in the room, and he goes, "Okay, you heard what they're saying. It sounds insane, and it is insane, right?" But the magistrate's like, "Damn it, damn it!" And since he said, "But," I know what's coming next. The concierge goes, "They complained to me about it. I went to their door, and I couldn't move 
inside. I couldn't do it. And then I got down on all fours, and I'm incapable of doing a handstand. It's not something that I can do. I mean, I don't know who these three gymnasts are, but I sat there in the doorway trying to kick my feet up to do a handstand. You cannot enter the house on your feet. This story, as ludicrous as it sounds, was reported in several newspapers of the time. We have a publication, we have the Daily Mail, which published it on May 1st, back in 1907. And then I found the Roanoke Times, volume 41, number 120. They published it on May 19th, 1907. And they tell this story, and the story ends with the judge or the magistrate, they use the right terminology, the magistrate ordered the house disinfected. And that's the end of the story. There's no follow-up to it. There's no everyone went back to the house and they can enter it as normal. There's no telling us that it worked, that it didn't work. It just says the magistrate ordered the room disinfected. It's interesting. Here's the thing. We know, we've talked about this a lot on the show, old-timey newspapers made a lot of stuff up. New-timey newspapers make a lot of stuff up. But old-timey newspapers would publish... Uh, fiction for... I mean, you could call it fiction, you could call it a lie. Sometimes they would publish basically tall tales. And it would get mixed in with these things, and then you fast forward 100 years, and they're like, oh, look at this article about finding giants in Arizona. And it was fake. The story was made up. We see that a lot in old-timey newspapers. Well, they will publish stuff that simply didn't happen. And what it also can happen is the Daily Mail could have published it knowing it was a joke, and then other newspapers started picking it up. That happens as well. And I almost feel like this could be a joke that's lost in translation because it just ends with the magistrate saying, have the room disinfected. And maybe there was some joke or meme going around at the time that we've totally lost context for. And if someone of the time in 1907, they read that, they're like, <laughs> disinfected? <laughs> oh, Mary, come on, look at this article. This is so funny. Because the joke would have made sense to them. Or because we do believe in the paranormal, or even if you don't, you're fascinated by the paranormal. It could be true. Right? You could have a house that has that type of pull, that type of hold over someone. I could not do a handstand if someone put a gun to my head. I can't do a handstand. And I think the story is interesting because they do have a character who can't do the handstand and there's no magical force that makes him do the handstand. He just feels compelled to do it. But that old lady's doing him, right? So, I mean, that old, that old lady's more fit than I am. Fascinating story. And in the world of the paranormal, this definitely fits the lore, right? Some sort of compelling force, some sort of command. And it's not necessarily a verbal command or a threat. It's a psychic impulse on you. You can't enter it unless you do X. So it's a fascinating story. And the question is, did the disinfecting help? What was the disinfecting, right? What does that mean? Was there some sort of... what The Roanoke article kind of added a bit of a detail and said there might have been some strange disease in the house. There might have been some fleas that escaped a flea circus and they were making everyone do tricks by biting them at night. Who knows? Probably not that one, probably not that one, but it's just an interesting story about a house that makes you do something. We have ghosts that can make you do something, we have demons that can make you do something, both of those in ways of possessing people. 
And if a ghost can haunt a house, why couldn't the ghost have that also effect on type of people? It's not something... I say it's it, in the lore it makes sense. It's not something that's super common, though, where people enter a house where they feel compelled to do something. However, it is not one of a kind. It does happen. It's just not super common. And strap in, guys, because that's a pun. That's a pun you'll understand in a bit. Strap in because we're about to head to another house with a far more sinister version of this story. And a far more recent example as well. Devin, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carbon copter. We're leaving behind France, waving at these people as they are doing handstands, waving their feet back at us. We are leaving behind old-timey France. We're headed all the way out to Aberdeen, South Dakota. Recently on the X-Board, there was a really cool thread about the Midwest area. What's some creepy, weird stuff that's going on in the Midwest of the United States? So, a lot of really cool posts in there. And there's this one I really wanted to highlight. Because it is just terrifying and opens up a whole new avenue of how our lives can be affected by the paranormal forces hidden around us. We're in Aberdeen, South Dakota. The year is 2002, give or take. It's somewhere around there. And there's this young man in the area. Let's call him John. And that's just a guess if that's if it's a super common name, but that's your real name. I'm just shot in the dark there. And he says, you know, the city of Aberdeen in South Dakota, it's just full of weirdos, right? As you're listening to this, you're like, what? It's full of weirdos. He says it's one of those towns that no matter where you go in South Dakota, whenever, no matter where you go in South Dakota, if you mention Aberdeen, People go, uh, people just kind of like, yeah, that, that town's weird. And every state has that town. I think every area has that town. Up where I'm at, that's Doofer. Doofer's considered a full of a bunch of weirdos. But, and sorry to my Doofer listeners, he says this town of Aberdeen is just weird. Now, he had a friend who lived in this town. And his friend who lived in Aberdeen would often have dreams about demons, and that would just be unsettling to begin with. I, as much as I spend time in the world of paranormal, I don't often dream about demons. Shockingly, very little now that I think about it. It's kind of weird. He has these dreams. It's not like I'm like holding a heart-shaped villa with a demon on it. And I'm like, oh, come to me in nighttime, please, my infernal buddies. I'm glad, I'm glad that I don't have it. He dreams about demons and he goes, but it's not just that I was having dreams about demons. I'm having dreams that in the basement of my house, which there is a basement, there's this huge pit. There's not a pit. There's not a pit in my real basement, but in the dreams I will be in the basement and there's this pit there. And then I can see demons crawling out of the pit into our reality. Whatever, right? Spooky, spooky dreams because I had them every once in a while. But just dreams. Well, eventually the house got sold. And the new owners of the house, they'd been there for a bit, they actually get a hold of him and his family. And they go, hey, you know, we, we, we bought this house from you. Thanks for selling it to us. But there's been some weird things going on in this house. Do you guys, do you guys have any idea of what they could be? <laughs> I don't know if they told the truth. I don't know if they lied. They're like, oh, no, man, that house is totally dope. But the new owners also said not only has some weird things been happening, we keep having these weird dreams about the basement. 
So that's just a creepy story from the town of Aberdeen, South Dakota, but that's not the reason why we're here. <laughs> that was just a story, so if you have a basement, you'll be scared tonight. The reason why we're here is we are helping John move into his new apartment. We're actually watching him, we're not helping. We're watching John move into his new apartment. Now, his new apartment in Aberdeen used to be an old house, over 100 years old, but it had recently been sectioned off into three separate apartments. What a cool place to live, right? John said, my apartment had a standard bedroom. Like, you walk into the entryway for his apartment, you have a standard bedroom, living area, things like that. But right when you walk into his apartment, right off from the entryway, was this room, this this room that seemed almost too small to have any real use. Very, very small room off to the side of the entryway. And he's moving his stuff in. He's all alone, moving by himself, putting his stuff in his bedroom, setting stuff out. And he goes, I had a very weird vibe just moving my stuff in. And this is the first night he's putting everything away. And he says, as I'm continuing to get stuff out of my car and bring it inside... The weird vibe changed to almost a paranoia. I felt like someone was watching me. But you know, new place, right? Is that something that normally happens when you move into new apartments? The overwhelming dread of being watched by the damned? He doesn't know. Maybe it's his first apartment. As he's putting stuff in his bedroom and coming back outside to get stuff out of his car and coming back into his bedroom, as this process is going on, at one point he walks out of his bedroom into the living room and he sees... Sitting there in his living room, a man in a straitjacket. The man is staring at John with piercing eyes and a huge grin across his face. John described it as it is what you would think a psychotic stare would look like. It was the very definition of that rictus grin with wild, wide eyes staring directly at you. John ran out of the living room, ran out of his apartment, ran out to his car, and drove away, trying to make sense of what that was, right? He's pretty sure, he's pretty sure he doesn't have a roommate, definitely doesn't have a roommate in a straitjacket. And he drives out to his buddy's house in the area. This has to have just been like my imagination, right? I'm getting creeped out. It's a new place. Maybe I just need some help moving in. So he talks to his buddy. doesn't tell him anything. He's like, hey, he's all sweating. He's all sweating. He has a big pee stain on his pants. He's like, hey, buddy, how's it going? Long time no see. He's like, dude, take a shower and change your pants. Hey, you want to come back and help me move stuff in? You Come check out my new place? Yeah, sure. Let's go do it. So he picks his friend up, doesn't tell him what he saw. And they both enter the apartment. John looks. Living room's completely empty. Whew. John goes into his bedroom, starts putting stuff away. His friend's helping him move stuff around. And then all of a sudden, from the living room, he hears his friend screaming at the top of his lungs. John's in the bedroom. And from the living room, he hears his best friend screaming at the top of his lungs. John knows exactly what his friend is seeing. John leaves the bedroom just as his friend is leaving the apartment, running outside. And John catches up to his friend and goes, you saw it, didn't you? You saw it. 
And it's like, yeah, you knew that was there? You knew that was there and you invited me over without telling me? I, 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 did, I, I, I didn't know. Like, I knew because I saw it, but that was real, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was... What was that? That was some crazy guy in a straitjacket. Insane look on his face, I know. So then, th this, this is hilarious and exactly what I would do. They decide to go get the best friend's little brother who I'm assuming is at least an adult, right? I hope it's not like a 10-year-old, but they decide, listen, we need to... Maybe this. Maybe we're both just losing our minds, right? Let's go pick up your little brother, and we won't, we won't tell him there is a phantasm of an insane man in my new apartment. Let's just go pick him up. See what he sees. So they go, and they pick up little brother. He's playing Switch. He's like, wee! Animal Park, or whatever that game is. Animal Farm is so fun. Do-do-do-do-do-do! And they're like, come on, dude. Come on, Bobby. Let's go to this house. They're all, they all have gummy worms. They're trying to trick him out. Come on, come on. Yay! I'll go with you guys. They take the younger brother to the house. John's driving. They take the younger brother to the house, and they have not told him anything about what's in the house. And when John and his friend walk into the house, the brother follows them in. And then once he gets into this apartment, he stops. And then he walks into the small room off the entryway. He walks into that small room and wraps his arms tight around his body and goes, <laughs> Look at me! Look at me! I'm crazy! <laughs> and they go, What are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm just pretending I'm in a straitjacket. Woohoo! Look at me! I'm crazy! <laughs> And as fear is gripping John and his friend, they ask, why in the world are you acting like you're in a straitjacket? And the brother goes, I don't know. I just, I feel like, I feel like this is a room where you would put someone with a straitjacket. I just, I don't know. Look at me, I'm all trapped in here. Let me out, let me out. John packed his stuff up, broke his lease, and never went back. To that apartment. This was his first night, remember? Never went back. He said, like, years later, he was talking to his friend about it. And he goes, hey, remember that house that I got with the crazy guy with the straight jacket? And then your brother, like, started acting like a crazy guy in a straight jacket and all that stuff. And his friend, who, who we'll name Kevin. I didn't give him a name the whole story. The friend goes, yeah, I kind of remember that. I think we were just tired. John's like, what? Kevin's like, I, I don't, you know, I just, I think we were both tired that night. Probably just seeing things. Not, not real. There's no, there's no ghosts. John goes, so you think we were both tired and we both saw the exact same thing and I didn't tell you what I saw, but somehow you saw the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just sleepy. And it's funny because I've encountered that as well. I've met people who have gone on ghost hunts with me and we've seen paranormal phenomenon. And that night we talk about it, and weeks later we're talking about it, and then months later, yeah, well, no, maybe it wasn't that. Well, no, dude, we clearly saw something. I don't know, maybe we were just tired. It's weird how the human mind doesn't want to believe in this stuff. Because it's creepy, right? Our brains have governors built into them, so we don't see everything that we see.
and the things we do see that we're not supposed to see, we will um, discard them. It's very, very interesting. I've seen that happen, too, with friends of mine. And it may have even happened to me. I wouldn't know, obviously, right? If my brain goes, ah, oh, it's probably just made up, and then I stop remembering it. But, yeah, it's super weird. I've been on ghost hunts with people that really good friends of mine, and they would have seen something, and it's I brought it up months or a year later, and they're like, ah, right, they'll remember the event. See, that's what's interesting. They'll remember the event, but they'll remember it as, oh, I think it was something different. It's not that they go, Jason, what are you talking about? Was that when you were doing all those Benadryls? No, they remember the event, and they remember seeing the thing. They just have a new... I was just tired. I just hallucinated the same thing you saw, which really is unlikely. The thing I love about this story is it's not just that there was a phantom in the house, right? It's not just that there was the image of a man in a straitjacket with a terrifying grin and crazy eyes. Right, That enough is scary, but the fact that the brother... When he walked in, became the phantom. He walked in and instantly felt compelled to wrap his arms around his body, walk into this little room and start acting like he's in a straitjacket. Now, the other two people, Kevin and John, were walking throughout the apartment for a period of time before this creature, this spirit, made itself known. But the younger brother immediately takes on the personality of the lunatic. Now, he goes, there's no history of the house. He said there was a hospital nearby. But he tried looking in the probably when he was trying to break his lease, he's probably trying to prove that it was haunted or something like that. He goes, he couldn't find anything in the house that would point to it being haunted or being used as an insane asylum or something like that. But, you know, the, the kind of the implication is that little room was set up for a man in a straitjacket and now his spirit is free to roam. But not again, not only that, that it can actually not necessarily possess people, but latch on to certain people, and that person takes those traits. Didn't see the man. Just felt acting a little crazy. Which makes you wonder, what if it was the younger brother who moved into this place, right? And he walks in there, and he sees that room, and he goes, oh, I, bet you, I bet you this is where a crazy person would be. And he wraps his... He's, he's all by himself in this instance, but he's pretending he's wrapped in a straitjacket for a bit in the room, and he's like, ha, 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 crazy, crazy times. And then he goes on, and he's unpacking his stuff, and this man is very vulnerable to this spirit. And over time, it's not just, oh, I bet you that room was used for a guy with a straitjacket. This dark psychic energy is actually infusing this young man driving him crazy. The other people had enough shielding, they could at least see it, but this young man, when he walked in, he was instantly vulnerable to this thing. And, my, and like the story before, I mean, these are very obvious visualizations or actions from this. The first story, having to walk in on your hands. In this story, seeing this ghost and then someone being influenced instantly by the ghost. I started to put together the hypothesis. Like, these are obvious things, but what about all the houses that we've lived in, all the apartments we've been in over the years, right? Even just visiting someone else's apartment. Who's to say? And we'll wrap the episode up like this. With this very dark and dreary ending, 
How much of our personalities are us? How many of our likes and dislikes, our vices and addictions, our fears and hopes are actually us? And how many are psychic residue from a place we visited once or a home we grew up in? Where a young girl died in a pool back in the 70s. And you moved into that house and you just didn't like swimming. You just never really could explain it. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm a goat swimmer and all. I just don't enjoy swimming. Or you spend most of your life not being anti-cigarette, but not really being interested in cigarettes either. And then you're in your mid-twenties and you're in a new town and you find yourself craving a cigarette. You don't know. You figure, listen, I work in this new job. I'm in this new town. I'm super stressed. And I saw the movie Joker and it made smoking look really cool. So I knew it would impress some girls. So I went and I picked up some cigarettes. And, you know, I, I'm not addicted. I just smoke casually on the weekends. But it's just all this other stuff going on in my life. But it's actually psychic residue from your new place of residence. It's interesting because this is actually a belief of Scientology that there are engrams that are connected to you. And we have to wipe those off of ourselves. And part of being a Scientologist is building up... I, I'm going to bastardize it. I've had a few Scientology friends in my life and I'm just kind of putting it together piece by piece. But it's something that you have to do this cleansing. You do like the E-meter thing and you relive the experience over and over again of this negative thing, and you're kind of washing these engrams off of you until you become clear, I think is the the supposed to be the base level of humanity, and then if you do it more, you can ascend type of thing. It kind of is aligned with that, but this leans more into just the paranormal thing. All of the, Yesterday we talked about ghosts are everywhere. This one's kind of the same thing. This psychic energy is everywhere, and how much of ourselves is actually ourselves. One thing that I find very interesting, that my appetites are not my own. When you fast, you very quickly realize that a lot of the stuff you love to eat is actually the stuff your gut biome needs to fuel itself. It's fascinating. Your gut biome sends chemicals into your body saying, we need sugar, we need carbs, we need sugar, we need carbs. That's where those cravings come from. And if you can go, I think it's two or three days without consuming sugar or carbs, all of that gut biome dies off. You'll actually be craving it even more because it's releasing more signals to your brain because they will die. It's basically an entire civilization in your stomach that will die if you don't have at least a candy bar or a donut. Come on, just eat that donut. And you have to go three days, basically, and then all of that dies in your stomach and your gut biome is now different and your taste buds are different and what you want to eat is different until you start eating sugar and carbs again and that gut biome starts to reappear and then the cravings start again. Those aren't my cravings. Those are cravings that are coming from within my stomach. An alien life form that's, not, that's made its home in me, but it's not me. And that's explained by science. We know that from science. So the question is, when we look at the world of psychic energy, 
how many of our phobias or how many of our addictions or how many of our attractions, how many of our desires are actually natively ours? How many are things attaching themselves to us? It's a tricky question because there is really no answer for it, right? It comes down to who are you as a person? What is yourself? And you may think you know you, and you may be very introspective and know you, but whatever could be inhabiting you could also be hiding very, very well. I used extreme examples like picking up a smoking habit or being afraid of water. It could be far more simple than that. Far more simple than that. Doesn't have to be walking on your hands. Doesn't have to be being crazy in a house. The world of the paranormal is so fascinating because there's so many roads we can walk down. And a lot of those roads are spooky. Very, very scary and unsettling roads. And I think this is one of those. I think this really kind of makes you, if you buy into this hypothesis, that who are you? When you get angry, is it you or is it some sort of rage energy that latched onto you many, many years ago? You think you're in love with a person, but you don't really understand why. It doesn't make sense to you why you love them so much. Maybe you don't. But some energy, some thought form attached itself to you around the same time you met them. And things just seemed to click. But were you really in control of those decisions? I talked about on my episode, Solar Plexus Clown Gliders, how when I was in a courtroom in Sacramento, for it was a college class I had to go to the courtroom, I saw a king cobra on the seat next to me. It wasn't real, but I saw it. And I saw it uncoil and lunge at me. And then for the next five years, I suffered from back pain, which led me to be prescribed 240 Vicodin a month. And I always wondered, I always figured that that was some sort of psychic energy that someone had left in that courtroom. And it had attached itself to me and caused this pain. It was physical pain, but it was caused by some sort of psychic entity. And who knows where that is now, right? Other than a few bumps and bruises due to being 45 years old, my back's fine. I didn't need to be on 240 Vicodin a month. Back in 2003, that's what they were prescribing for a little bit of back pain. And my life, really, started to slide. Because how do you function on that much narcotics, right? It's a narcotic drug. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing great. There's a lot of people, right? There's a lot of people who didn't get out of that. There's a lot of people who got sucked deeper into that world of painkillers. I very, consider myself very, very lucky. Blessed. Right? Blessed. But I do believe that there are entities out there that can latch on to us. And I do believe that it may not be the cause of all of our vices and all of our passions. 
I do believe that these things are out there. I've talked about it before. I call them psychic landmines. A thousand people could walk back and forth across one of these things and it never do anything. And a hundred people could walk by and get a weird feeling, right? Something feels off in this area. They don't want to be here. It's creepy. But maybe three or four people walk across that thing and that landmine goes off. That spirit, that demon, that archon, whatever you want to call it, springs to life, latches on, and takes you for one hell of a ride. The world of the paranormal is fascinating and terrifying. Because it can go from being a spooky story to a life-changing event. Like that. And you never know what side you're going to be on. Are you going to be the person just listening to the story on Dead Rabbit Radio? Or are you going to be the person whose life slowly descends into a living hell simply because you moved into the wrong apartment? DeadRabbitRadio gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend.